Hello, and welcome to Greetings from Brussels, episode 10 of our Global Tech Swamp podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and I'm here with Morgan and Anna from our EU team. Hi, Morgan. Hello. Hello, and Anna. Hello. Hi, Alex. Hi. Um, all right, so in today's episode, we're discussing competition in the digital age. Regulators and policymakers around the world have concerns over unfair competition in the online economy and are looking at ways to limit the power of big tech. In the EU, a new regulation has recently been put forward to complement existing competition rules. To talk about this in more detail, we have with us Aurelien Portuez, Director of Antitrust and Innovation Policy at ITIF, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. But first, we're going to cover tech history and the latest headlines in Brussels. It's Women's History Month, so we looked at the EU's past initiatives to close the gender, uh, the gender gap in tech, and while we didn't find much in the archives, all EU initiatives tackling the issue are pretty recent, and women remain underrepresented in the information and communication technology field. Recent reports from the European Commission found that women are still in minority in the digital economy. Only 17% of ICT specialists in the EU is a woman. Only 90% of European ICT entrepreneurs are women, and 93 of capital invested in European companies this year went to all-male founding teams. Yet, encouraging more women to pursue careers in the digital sector could boost the EU's GDP by 9 billion a year. As a member company, Magilab puts it, if tech equals the future and women don't equal tech, then women don't equal the future. And that's not the tech history we want to be making. And that's all for tech history. That sound means it's time for Brussels Bites. Anna and Morgan, what are the latest tech policy headlines out of the EU? Ride-hailing platforms like Uber have been facing many legal challenges in countries all around the world. Now, the latest decision from the Brussels region went as far as to ban the use of smartphones by Uber drivers to arrange rides in the EU's capital. Effectively, this put a stop to app-based taxi systems. In fact, the Brussels region simply decided to apply a 1995 law to the sector, which requires rides booked with drivers to last for at least three hours, and the booking cannot be done via a radio telecommunication service or geolocation, which is the privilege of taxi drivers. Uber is calling on Brussels to reconsider the measure while legislators are trying to find a solution. This issue, like e-privacy or connected health that we've covered on the podcast before, is just another example of how regulation is struggling to catch up with technology. Check out the show notes for more information. In neighboring country France, the government is refusing to apply ruling from the Court of Justice of the European Union on data retention. In the name of national security, the court decision stops the indiscriminate storage of telecom data but by operators without a time limit. Now, in case of the di- in the case of with digital rights um, NGO La Coyature du Net and Privacy International, the French government is arguing that the ruling goes against the country's constitutional identity, a concept that was introduced in 2006 and has rarely been used. This could set a bad precedent for other countries that have been called to order by the EU's top court on rule of law issues, such as Hungary and Poland. We'll keep you updated on this issue in future episodes. 
Over the past couple of months, Apple has already been facing increased pressure from regulators in the EU. Now the UK's Competition and Market Authority, the CMA, has also launched an investigation into Apple following complaints that its terms and conditions for app developers are unfair and anti-competitive. The investigation will consider whether the company has a dominant position in connection with the distribution of apps on Apple devices in the UK, and if so, whether these conditions are in fact unfair and anti-competitive um, for developers using the App Store. This comes as the Dutch Competition Authority, ACM, is also nearing a draft decision in investigation into Apple over its, um, its rules requiring developers to use the in-app payment system. This decision is particularly important as it will be the first to rule on Apple's App Store payment policies and could potentially influence the EU's um, own investigation into some of the same practices. If remedies are imposed, Apple could be forced to, to make changes to some of its services it provides to developers, affecting intended businesses. Check out the show notes for more info. And that's all for Brussels Bytes. And now, let's talk competition policy. The app economy is driven by app makers and innovators like our members. Many SMEs in the app economy rely on platforms to reach consumers around the globe, and platforms serve as an essential foundation for the growing uses of apps in all sectors and by everyone. However, today, many of these platforms have caught the attention of regulators and competition authorities over concerns of unfair practices. In Europe, the European Commission recently released the Digital Markets Act, the DMA, to regulate digital platforms. While the DMA directly targets large digital platforms, so-called gatekeepers, its impact will be felt by all companies in the ecosystem. To help us understand the impact of this regulation and how it could affect our members, I'm going to kick it to Morgan and Anna, who recently sat down with Aurelien Portuez, Director of Antitrust and Innovation Policy at ITIF, to learn more. Hi Aurelien, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Hi, hello. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, let's get into the discussion. Um, so there are policy debates of all around the world to adapt antitrust laws to the digital, uh, digital environment. Um, and why are these debates so important today? Well, I think that uh, after any kind of uh, technological evolution or disruptions, uh, antitrust laws are very um, uh, called for uh, actions. Uh, this started with, with the very beginning of antitrust laws a century ago when railroad arrived and then you had a merger, a wave, then you had telecommunications and antitrust laws have been reformed as well. And then we had internet and again antitrust laws were said to be inadaptable and inadequate for uh, the new environment. And again uh, we have digital disruption now and um, kind of uh, unsurprisingly uh, the kind of the same rhetoric is being raised uh, so that the antitrust laws and framework is said uh, to be uh, not adequate for tackling the uh, digital platforms um, i think this starts from some presumptions and from assumptions in the sense that if a, it takes the antitrust laws as they were something very uh, precise, very detailed, and which are not adaptable to the digital world. But um, you can have a, a different viewpoint, which is to think that antitrust laws are more or less something like the 
economic constitution of the land, of the country, if you want, right? And in the EU, antitrust uh, rules are at the core of the EU treaties. So these are very vague, very general rules uh, aimed at precisely being adaptable and are quite uh, adaptable uh, to a lot of uh, technological changes that have uh, taken place in the EU since uh, 1957, since their inceptions. So uh, the, the idea that we need to change antitrust laws only because there is a technological change, I think this starts from a very strong assumption, which is um, not always uh, not always true, and can be uh, rebutted. So that's interesting because um, so you're saying that antitrust laws are can adapt quite well. So what's what is the EU uh, doing at the moment? What's the EU's approach to competition uh, in the digital era then? then? Yeah, I think, I think it starts again from the from the fact that um, the EU uh, Commission rules are not well equipped for the digital world, and this starts from the uh, assumption that the digital world uh, will allow for some network effects and some entrenched market positions that will not be um, uh, adequately addressed by uh, EU Commission rules. Uh, but we, what we see, uh, quite contrarily, is that there's a lot of disruptions and that these market positions that are enjoyed now uh, might no longer be enjoyed in the near future or uh, they were not enjoyed uh, in the recent past. And, and, and so that's the idea of the uh, antitrust laws not being uh, adequate for the digital world, say that when you have um, anti-competitive uh, behavior, it takes time for bringing a case to the uh, European Commission, at least, and then for the European Commission decisions to be judicially reviewed. This may take many years, and that's what we've seen, for example, with the Google cases. And, 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 and prevailing voice as starting to be influential enough for uh, advocating for a change, a radical change of perspective. So like, we must not wait anymore for uh, bringing a case and for um, waiting for a European Commission decision. We must have these so-called ex-ante rules so that those do's and don'ts of regulations even before any kind of anti-competitive practice may arise. So this is clearly regulation before uh, the blamed conduct uh, may even materialize. And, and that's a uh, start from, again, from the very premises that uh, antitrust laws are not adapted. And this is something which is a uh, very uh, question that's interesting because one of the, the new regulations um, introduced by the Commission late last year is, is the Digital Markets Act, which is very um, much an ex-ante regulation. Um, in fact, it creates obligations for large platforms that act as so-called gatekeepers. And the goal is for the, the Commission to bring more contestability and fairness into the digital markets. Um, but... I would be interested to hear what you think, how these obligations impact other actors that are not gatekeepers in the online ecosystem. What should um, SMEs be looking out for? For 
Yeah, uh, so that's a very um, new original regulation. The Digital Market Act is very unique because we we, we, we haven't had that uh, before. Uh, we had this kind of uh, regulation for the telecommunications sector, but with these were regulations uh, that were regulating n uh, legal monopolies uh, most of the time. We're not facing any kind of legal monopolies because these are uh, digital platforms who uh, disrupted traditional businesses and which do not enjoy any kind of uh, legal monopolies protected by the, by the state. So, uh, the Digital Market Act is very interesting, very puzzling indeed, and I believe it, it constitutes a considerable um, innovation deterrence for not only gatekeepers, I will come to that, but also for European SMEs. So the Digital Market Act is, you can say, it's a kind of asymmetric regulation square. Um, it's asymmetric in a sense that it doesn't apply to, let's say, offline uh, businesses. And, and we don't know what is offline businesses precisely after the COVID-19 where everything is, be, is becoming digitalized. Uh, so it applies only to digital markets so that it creates, of course, an unevil uh, level playing field between digital platforms and those offline traditional uh, businesses. And again, within those digital markets, it applies only to gatekeepers. So that's why I say it's asymmetric regulation square, in the sense that it only applies to a very small, um, small, uh, small number of companies, perhaps 10 or perhaps more, uh, which are designated as, as gatekeepers. And, and these gatekeepers would be subject to very stringent regulations. But the thing is, these gatekeepers will, I mean, are most of the time, if not always, uh, in control of a digital ecosystem which impact the life of hundreds, if not thousands of SMEs, of app developers. So any impact on the digital ecosystems of these uh, digital gatekeepers will have tremendous uh, uh, effect on the app that operate in those uh, in those um, get in, in those digital uh, ecosystems so this is very uh, very puzzling because it may deteriorate because of the regulatory cost um, associated with uh, those uh, obligations that we're going to talk about in a minute but it's going to deteriorate the quality and the investment level in those digital ecosystems so this is basically the the, the playing field for app developers right they, 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 basically live by the quality of, let's say, the App Store or the uh, Google Play Store. They live by the very fact that it's a thriving, open, but also high quality uh, in terms of uh, cyber security and in terms of, uh, in terms of the security of the app in the App Store. So they, they live by the massive investments that um, the digital ecosystems are making in the in the uh, in their own ecosystem, so it's it will have cr real uh, effect on the app um, app developers and the European SMEs. But also, uh, this is clearly something which uh, has a huge threshold effect because this is a regulation that applies only to these large companies. Even if, as I just explained, it will have a tremendous effect on the smaller one. 
But these threshold effects are precisely these uh, uh, deterrents of innovation because this will uh, deter uh, growth and will uh, deter the scalability for a small and, and medium-sized app developers to grow in Europe. Otherwise, they will, of course, be subject to stringent uh, regulations. Yes, and well, you're perfectly right when saying it's um, it's an ecosystem. And uh, so, as you know, our members are, are tech SMEs. Um, they rely on the platforms, on the tool, on the research uh, and development these uh, inject in the ecosystem. And at the same time, they platform themselves. And you're speaking about growth here uh, because they will have the ambition. I would say, yeah, I would say to grow. So um, how? Well, you talked about the fact that they will be impacted, but how would the new DMA, can we already say how it would change uh, the environment uh, they will, the SMEs or the new, um, yeah, our members will evolve in? Can we already say, uh, I would say, you know, if we had a crystal ball, <laughs> could we already say something? Yeah, I, th I think we can. We have a clear uh, view of what the uh, DMA will will be, uh, perhaps at the end of the legislative process. And clearly, we know that it's going to be quasi impossible now to merge with one of those di digital gatekeepers. So I, I guess for um, uh, for our listeners, who may be app developers, I mean, perhaps. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but most of them, and perhaps uh, or at least a large uh, uh, portion of them, may have just developed the app and say that in, uh, in order to gain the scalability that is necessary for the profitability of the app to, um, to, to, to emerge and to be, well, one solution they envisaged uh, also with their venture capitalist was to be bought up and to be acquired by a digital uh, ecosystem. Right? This is not something that is uh, seen as a threat or some seen that is as detrimental, but sometime when app developers try to get money and go to venture capital, the venture capitalists themselves ask and require, of course, high return and sometimes high return in a, in a short or medium term. And one of those uh, possibilities for gaining this high return is precisely acquisition by digital gatekeepers. So let's assume, I mean, you can already kind of consider that with the DMA, this will not be possible anymore. Uh, precisely because, I mean, the, 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 political, the political pressure that will, will be on the European Commission to uh, block any kind of merger that is taking place between a digital gatekeeper and a small app uh, developer will be so enormous that I, we can safely, uh, without crystal ball, uh, I think we can safely say that uh, the merger will be rejected. Um, and, and, and this is a very, very, uh, this is a very impediment to um, the scale to uh, the app developers able to get to have the necessary scale for for the apps. And so it will just dry out one venue for having uh, capital. So there will be venture capital, but again, the possibility for being acquired is just not possible anymore. Um, we know that banks are very risk averse, and they they are not re really willing to uh, to land on um, 
on risk-taking digital uh, platform developers. Uh, so this is not already uh, a real uh, possibility. So what I'm saying is that with antitrust, we're just closing doors, uh, we, we're closing venues for small app developers to grow. And, and, and this is uh, problematic in a sense that what, the, what European SMEs cannot get in Europe, well, of course, it could get perhaps in other regions. Uh, perhaps even no longer in, in, in the U.S. because the U.S. will adapt and, and will adopt at least uh, perhaps similar uh, obligations. But of course, in other places in the world, I mean, the, 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 the capital is, is maybe available elsewhere. And so uh, venture capitalists may be found elsewhere where precisely uh, these regulations and uh, will not be applicable. So I think in terms of merger, uh, this is a great impediment uh, to growth and it's fully enshrined in the DMA proposal and there's no um, no no chance that it would be removed during the legislative process or at least it would be even strengthened and, and worsened I think uh, from my uh, viewpoint uh, another um, another example for example is just the uh, for example think of your video uh, game app developers you do some video games perhaps you, these small video games on Facebook, right? And you want to have Facebook users to be only one click away to your video games, right? This is exactly what what you want. And well, these leveraging, these bundling effect, and these automatic sign in will not be permitted anymore if Facebook is considered to be a digital gatekeeper. Well, there's no chance it won't be uh, not considered as a, as a gatekeeper. So. Uh, all these things create searching cost, signing in cost, and most, most uh, fundamentally, create transaction cost in within the digital ecosystem. And this is not something I guess uh, app developers want because that will make them their their, their app and their um, business model more far away from the end consumers. And what they want is precisely the quickest the speediest uh, way to reach end consumers through, uh, through those platforms. And, and I think a lot of, um, a lot of things are, uh, which are in the DMA is all about giving the choice of the consumers. But sometimes the consumers don't want to have the choice, right? When you have automatic sign-in and you want to give your uh, usernames and password um, through, and you, you, you log in through, let's say, Apple or Facebook or, or Google or whatever uh, signing password. It's just for you to have some uh, search cuts and, and, and to avoid losing your password and to, uh, um, to, to, to incur some search cost. And this is also for the benefit of the app developers, which is more accessible through this digital ecosystem to the end users. And this will not be a um, a load, or at least it will be uh, made with a much greater cost for uh, app developers, so that app developers will have a hard time uh, at least mitigating these uh, huge uh, distribution costs that are in created by the uh, DMA, and they will have to find other distribution channels, or that at least they will have to rethink their distribution channels. Um, as opposed to uh, what is currently uh, today. Wow, so this would create quite a bit more friction for everyone. Um, I, I want to come back to this point that you made about um, 
closing windows of opportunity because there are also provisions in the in the DMA that would allow the European Commission to designate um, a provider of core platform services as a gatekeeper when it is only foreseeable that this company will enjoy an entrenched market position in the future. And this is also sometimes called tipping markets. Um, and I wonder, how is this categorization, how is that possible? That seems very difficult to do. Um, and would, and I think that would also further risk the incentives for growth for smaller platforms because they don't want to be seen as being a market tipper. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's great that you raised these questions because I started my point saying that uh, the DMA will apply to a small um, number of firms. Well, actually, it's perhaps even worse than that. It will apply not only because of indirect effect to a much larger number of firms, but it would even apply to some firms that would never think of being a gatekeeper. Why? Well, if you take the, um, the designation of gatekeepers, which is uh, in the Article 3 of the uh, Digital Markets Act, you have some qualitative indicators. So you need to have a significant impact on the internal market, you need to have a core platform services, and you you need to enjoy um, some sort of entrenched and durable uh, position. Um, so we don't really know what that means, but let's, let's assume we know what it means. Um, and, and in order to understand these um, qualitative criteria, the DMA lay down some quantitative criteria. And, and these criteria, to just for example, to have six billion five of uh, turnover over the last three financial years, which is one of the, uh, one of the uh, qualitative criteria, these criteria are not really criteria. Why? Because they are presumptions. It means that even if you don't meet them, you may still be considered as a as, as a gatekeeper according to Article 3. So this is something to have in mind. And even if it gets even worse if you go to Article 15, Paragraph 4 of the Digital Market Act. So again, if you don't meet the quantitative criteria, it doesn't preclude you from being designated as a gatekeeper according to the qualitative criteria. But according to Article 15, Paragraph 4, even if you don't meet the qualitative criteria, you may still be considered as a digital gatekeeper. Why? Because you may foreseeably, in some sort of medium term, perhaps long term, we don't know, we, you may foreseeably have an entrenched and durable position. This is a very, um, very, very uh, problematic and I, I would say worrying aspect of the DMA that will uh, completely thwart uh, innovation for uh, small developers who are under the suspicion of being grow, uh, of being big and of growing. Uh, so um, if you don't reach, if you don't meet, again, I, I repeat, but if you don't meet the qualitative and quantitative uh, criteria, nothing may preclude you from uh, being designated as a gatekeeper within the um, Digital Market Act and thereby to be subject to these stringent regulations that are included in the Digital Market, uh, Digital, uh, Market Act. And, and, and so any company uh, that may have an foreseeable, entrenched and durable position may, at the end of the day, uh, will, may be considered as a digital gatekeepers. 
and we don't know what that means i mean if you take for example the the the, 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 the example of zoom uh, could zoom be considered as a digital gatekeeper could uh, companies like uh, of course bookings.com uh, in europe uh, might possibly considered as a gatekeeper according to those uh, criteria or even according to the foreseeable, foreseeable element. But also, let's think about some European SMEs who may be a small size or relatively medium-sized. They may think of merging together, right? Because let's, let's, let's assume you, you just completely forget about merging with the digital gatekeepers because this is a, a almost de facto prohibited by the Digital Market Act. But let's assume you want to merge between two free uh, small apps in order to, of course, gain scalability. Well, you can't avoid thinking about becoming a foreseeable, um, of at least foreseeably enjoying an entrenched and durable position and thereby you can't avoid thinking about uh, in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in a near future being subject to the uh, Digital Market Act. So this is the greatest uh, deterrence uh, effect to, uh, to, to, to grow and, and, and I think it will, it will create um, a, a region, uh, Europe, that will be very good at regulating while others are very good at innovating. And, and this, is, um, this is not something which is uh, positive because every uh, app developer will be uh, subject to um, some suspicions of uh, becoming very soon and much sooner than they may think uh, a digital gatekeeper with very stringent uh, regulations. Well, oh yeah, you've uh, highlighted quite uh, <laughs> so many areas of concerns for our members. I think uh, it's things that we'll have to, to follow um, really very closely. Um, and uh, also that will need to be clarified and, and, uh, and uh, communicated to, to policymakers. So I want to say thank you so much for joining us, uh, for our members. And uh, well, this discussion uh, will continue over the next two years um, as European policymakers will debate on the text uh, in the, the European Parliament and also uh, in the Council with different member states. So we'll make sure to keep our members updated. Uh, we just posted uh, a blog on the Digital Market Act on website uh, that will link to the show notes so if our members want to uh, have any questions or want to hear more about this um, and to hear more from Aurélien you can watch our event uh, that uh, he recently participated in uh, in collaboration with Competition Policy uh, International uh, the link will also be in our show notes thank you very much and uh, hopefully we'll have the opportunity to, to speak again And now it's time for random identifiers. Anna, you are up first. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready? Um, so ready. <laughs> Always. So um, I am big into crossword puzzles. Ooh. And mm. I am like pretty good at like German crossword puzzles, but like I've been trying to get better at like English language crossword puzzles. Okay. So for Christmas, I got this calendar that is like one crossword puzzle a day, and I've been doing it since like January 1st, obviously. Um, and I am noticing that I'm getting better at it and that has been bringing me a lot of joy. Um, but I'm also just highly recommending crossword puzzles as something to take off your, take your mind off of other things going on. Cause I just get frustrated with how little I know. And then it makes me think about that 
instead of other stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like they, they're so good for your brain. Like they say that they're really good for brain health, crossword yeah. puzzles. And my dad is like, like he's like a crossword puzzle master. Like he, um, like every year for both his birthday and Christmas, like that's what he wants is like a crossword puzzle book. Yeah. Um, and we're at the point where like he's done all of the New York Times crossword puzzle books, including like the hardest ones. Um, wow. So now we have to like look to new sources. But actually, um, you know, speaking of apps, uh, the New York Times has a crossword puzzle app and you can do mm-hmm. mini crossword puzzles every day and you can do like a daily crossword puzzle. That's, it's really um, great. That's my calendar is the New York oh. Times um, daily crossword puzzle calendar. And I do their mini crossword every day. So, yeah. 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 But I, I also, my parents also have gotten me a lot of crossword puzzle books over like the course of my life, which yeah. that is why I'm like good at German language crossword puzzle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really funny too because like they do require practice because you mm-hmm. start to like catch on to like how the they. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that's a that's a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> Highly recommend. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Morgan, what about you? What do you have for us? Well, uh, for me, it's a bit less than intellectual. It's more about watching. <laughs> it's again a Netflix series. <laughs> so uh, um, it's actually not a new one. So you know that in Europe, we have the audiovisual uh, and media directive um, that uh, came into force in 2018, which uh-huh. means that 30% of content on uh, video on demand streaming services needs to be local. So we, I'm rediscovering lots of like shows from Luxembourg, from Belgium and so oh. on. So. I'm going to do a bit of promotion for this Belgian one. It's actually a really good show. Um, it's called The Twelve, meaning The Twelve in, uh, in, in English. And it's about a jury and it's a bit of a psychological, uh, uh, not thriller, but um, it's, they follow all the, the, the juries during, um, during a court case. And it's, oh. I have to say it's quite good because it's... Um, it goes against all the any prejudice you might have about um, about people in general. So yeah, it's a uh, it's set in Ghent, so it's a, it's lovely and it's in Flemish. Uh, so I had to put subtitles, obviously. But uh, <laughs> if you guys uh, have it, uh, uh, wherever you're based, it's a it's a it's a good one to watch. That sounds really good. I love um, sort of shows that are sort of set in the in the law but aren't necessarily like procedural dramas you know like it gives you a different take on sort of that whole genre which i love yeah Yeah. i love a good courthouse drama yes yeah it's always good yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) well my random identifiers yeah it's a really good one my random identifier is also totally different than these other two so i'm glad we're like all kind of mixing it up this time um because i want to talk about feta cheese <laughs> because <laughs> oh my god this is about the good okay <laughs> here's the thing yes but i have i sort of have a beef which is funny because i'm talking about cheese not me but anyway um okay here's the thing so like i so my mom is Greek, so we eat a lot of feta and have always eaten a lot of feta cheese like my whole life. And so I always have it. Like I always buy it all the time. And I have a favorite, um, uh, which is specifically Trader Joe's has a Greek feta that comes in brine, which is my favorite Ooh, kind. Um, oh, it's so good, except that the now this is where my beef comes in, because I think because feta cheese is now a very popular ingredient, thanks to TikTok and the tomato uh, feta cheese pasta um, situation, 
they have been out of it like the last like two times I've gone and this is something that like I put on my salad every day like literally I eat feta cheese pretty much once a day um and they don't have it and they've been out of it and I'm like is it discontinued and they're like no no people have just been buying it a lot more and I'm like I usually come here and there are stacks and stacks of this feta cheese and it's the best and it's like not super expensive and it's gone and I'm so, so upset about it. The, the, the TikTok video was that popular that there yeah. is a shortage of feta cheese in the, in the I mean, US. It's, I, I have decided that either people have like finally realized that feta is actually like very, like you can use it in a lot of different ways. It doesn't just have to be like a cheese you put on salad or like, you know, you can make dips with mm -hmm. it or you can like bake it and you can like dip a cracker in it or, um, you know, it's like great in spanakopita or... Mm. Um, you know you can totally make better. it into a pasta sauce yeah and i so like on the one hand i guess i'm like happy that people are embracing it it's also like like the you know feta cheese is usually not made with cow's milk it's usually made with like sheep or goat so it's also like a different kind of milk which is sort of like interesting um but all this to say i'm really upset about the fact that i now have not been able to have my favorite feta i mean like they have another one that's like good but it's not the same it's not the same it's not the same <laughs> And so I'm just here to say, please, if you don't really like feta, stop buying it so that I can buy it again. Thank you. You're being <laughs> personally victimized by TikTok users. I really, I really I feel that, that way. You. Thank you. I was complaining to my mom about it, and she literally was like, you're being absolutely ridiculous. I don't think <laughs> she so. was like, you could just go to any other store and probably find feta in brine. And I'm like, but it's not the same as the Trader Joe's. Yeah. And it's like, they give you two, uh, like, kind of like two rectangles of it and it's not super thick so it's like perfect for so many different uses anyway it's really good i do hope that people buy it just because i want to make sure they don't cancel it which i know that they won't because they are selling out of it here in montgomery county in maryland but all this to say um i miss my feta cheese i feel your pain Thank yeah. you. Thank you. This was very random, but like very, very good. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> we have reached the end of Greetings from Brussels, episode 10 of our Global Text Bomb podcast. If you're interested in learning more, visit our website at actonline.org slash textbomb. You'll find all of our episodes and show notes that include links to articles, blogs, and all the good stuff. You can also subscribe to TechSwamp on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to get the latest episodes first. And don't forget to rate and review. And to follow what we're doing on a daily basis, follow us on Twitter at EUAppMakers. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Everyone, say bye. 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 <laughs> okay. <laughs>